It's the JRR You Talking to Me podcast, and this is the Helm's Deep Dive for episodes six and seven of Rings of Power. Jude, are you talking to me? I am going to have my nose buried in some ancient scrolls all night long. Oh, that sounds scrollerific. Oh, if only you knew. So, uh, we got a lot on the uh, smorgasbord here. We have a veritable buffet of topics. We're going to be talking about Mordor. What are some of the hot spots in Mordor? <laughs> um, we're going to be talking... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up a, a little bit of the allies of Sauron. Um, the Haradrim. And uh, the Rune, the city of Rune in the east which is apparently where our, our occult trio is from. A little uh, theory about Meteor Man. Um, maybe uh, also some speculation about Celeborn. Not the tree, Celeborn. Celeborn, Aww. the elf dude. Ah, but Galadriel's the tree is hubby. so much fun. And Jude, you got anything to add to that list of, of nuggets? I think Talk I do. Nuggets. I think uh, I'm also going to talk a little bit more about the geography of Middle-earth itself, as well as um, Durin's Bane, the the Balrog, which was awoken in this last episode here. You know I love the Balrogs. Oh, we all know that. Some like them with wings. Uh, Honestly, I really think you should uh, get tested over that. Maybe see a doctor. I'm wing positive for Balrogs. You like them a little too much. You know. That's all I'm saying. I I don't judge. Just as friends. Sure. You keep telling yourself that. So, um, yeah, and Rowan, apparently, uh, I actually got to briefly meet. This is Rowan, our show partner. Not Uh, the dead kid. Not the dead kid on the show. God, I uh, hope he's our, our Tolkien scholar. He couldn't be here tonight. Um, he is out and about. Um, actually, I, I I got to meet his uh, lady friend there, Esther. Oh, you and, finally um, met Esther. Yeah, she is a strange person. She is a strange person. Mm-hmm. I think she had a poster of Kim Jong Un. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I, that's not a good sign. Who would have that? Uh, a lot of people well, in North Korea, I imagine. She's like a... I didn't, she didn't even seem to be like a communist. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think she just liked the way he looked or something. Anyway, um, I don't really want to talk anymore about Rowan this week. I'm a little upset that he, uh, he promised he'd be here tonight and uh, for this. I'm excited about tonight's deep dive, and he's not here. So let's just move on, okay? Let's talk about uh, Mordor. Shall we? Because this was uh, Sauron's uh, second age home. Yeah, Mordor, Lestor, any door you want. Who are you, Elendil? Making little jokes. Wah, wah, wah. So, um, you know, first of all, um, Orodruin, right? The uh, mountain of Mount Doom. Orodruin was created by Morgoth. That's one of the features of Middle-earth that Morgoth uh, graced the, the planet with. 
hey, you know, he builds structures. I mean, he's not all bad. Yeah. He wanted to make a shitty-ass place. So, um, you know, that um, belching volcanic mountain was there before, according to lore, before Sauron moved in. He moved in because of it. Because it provided some nice shelter from the sun for his orcs and also the surrounding mountain ranges. Figures it'll make a nice home. And it definitely does. It's it's fortified. It's got you got the ash mountains across the north. Throw a futon over got here. The mountains. You got the mountains of shadow in the west and the south. You can't beat it for protection. Maybe some IKEA furniture over there. So, um, but if if you were gonna have a, a furniture place, it would definitely not be in. Uh, a couple of the areas of Mordor, they were, it was just mostly a shithole, but there was actually a place that was fertile, too. So let's go through some of the places that are in Mordor. Um, first of all, you have the, the Black Gate, right? Which we know from the Peter Jackson movies, um, between the two mountain ranges, um, and right Beyond the Black Gate, as you enter Mordor, you have the Valley of Udun. So what we saw happen, and what we've been seeing happening in the Southlands, is that area, Udun. Yes. Um, it was the uh, titular land of Episode 6. That's where the Black Gate will eventually be constructed. And I would imagine that the uh, area where... The um, orcs came down into the village. Um, if you look at the way it was depicted on the show, they, they almost go into sort of a valley um, in order to come through, in order to get to the town. And it would appear that that is very likely where the Black Gate might end up. Yeah. Yep. So once we get um, south of... Udun, and that's where we have Mount Doom, a road through in. Um, and then to the east of Mount Doom is where Sauron is going to build his famous Tower of Baradur, um, which, by the way, is so vast by the Third Age that there is nothing that um, the people of Gondor could do to tear down its foundations. It was so uh, well-constructed and probably protected by, by magic. It's a big building. So, um, and that's the tower, of course, that's going to house Sauron's flaming eye in the in, films. Anyway. In the movies, yes. Uh, I like Sauron. Well, it's, it, it's become sort of a whole thing with the show, you know? Um, Sauron's flaming. I, we got, uh, in the south of Mordor is the plateau of Gorgoroth. And let me tell you folks, that's a shithole. I wouldn't live there if the rent was free. Yeah, I but might. You, you know what? If, if it was anything like New York, they'd be charging, you know, $4,000 a square foot, even in Gorgoroth. Exactly. So, um, and then now we have Nern, and Nern is the good place. If you're going to live in Mordor, 
live in Nern. Of course, you'll probably be a slave to Sauron because that's who lived in Nern because the land was fertile and they took care of the fertile lands to feed those uh, crazy dark armies. Yeah, but is there anyone who's not a slave to Sauron who lives in Mordor? I mean, think about it. Yeah, I'm just saying that's the nicest part to live in, but you're going to be a slave. I'd rather be a free orc than a slavey man. I don't know. Maybe uh, that's wrong. Maybe uh, that's very untolkien of me to say. I'm just not sure that the orcs themselves are truly yeah. free. Yeah, that's true. Maybe with Adar they would have been free. Yeah, possibly, yeah. But he's going to get usurped. You think? So, you know, um, below Mordor, we have the Haradrim. And those are the guys that we saw. They looked sort of eastern, um, darker skin. In, in the, in the uh, trilogy, we saw them riding the giant elephants. Olifants. Yeah, or, or, or Mockles. Yeah, that's what they call them. Anyway, they are natural allies of Sauron. I'm going to get into some of the reasons. Some people call them Southrons, as a matter of fact. Um, but at one point, they were forced to pay tribute to Numenor. Now, Numenor, um, in lore, became quite cruel. They were cruel overlords. They were imperialistic. They were colonistic. Um, and this part of the land had to pay tribute to them. And then after the fall of Numenor, there were black Numenorians. Um, these are Numenorians who worshipped Morgoth and who were swayed by Sauron and in league with Sauron, who actually continued to lead the Haradrim. So uh, they were already actually like politically motivated against the Numenorians and then against the faithful, against Gondor. Um, but they were also re sort of religiously um, led to be opposed to the faithful. As um, for a certain point in time, they were led by the black Numenorians who worshipped Morgoth and Sauron. And uh, I bring this up to also sort of give dimension to Mordor and say that, yeah, th there was uh, a fertile, productive area. And there was also trade and an economy with people who lived in the Southlands and who, with people who lived in the East. So this was just like any other imperialistic power venture. There, there was trade. There was an economy. And there was certainly trade with Rune to the east. And now let's go towards how Rune enters into the show. So, Jude, you want to talk about that? So we have the cultists um, known right now on the show as the Dweller, the Nomad, and the Aesthetic. And we don't know a lot about them other than they are likely from Rune. Uh, was that confirmed? Are you aware of that? Yeah, they're, they are from Rune. Um, the, the Dweller is the one that looks like Eminem and has crazy eyebrows. It's okay. a female. Um, that's the Dweller. The um, Ascetic is the one with the shield, the one that has the, the, the matching constellation that Meteor Man first drew with the fireflies. Um, that's the Ascetic. And the Nomad is the one with the helmet. 
Okay, so yeah, we um we've got the three of them. Once again, we don't know all that much about them yet. Still on the show, and there's not a whole lot of book lore to go on. Um, there are a few theories out there right now, which I believe we're going to address. Well, can we talk about one of my favorite theories? To Let's talk, talk about. about that. In general, not even about this show, but if I have a theory, it's usually about werewolves. We all love werewolves, especially Sauron. He's a big yep. fan. A little old lady got mutilated late last night. Um, so Sauron, he was a changeling in, in the first age and Boy. in the second age. Boy, was he. And he led an army of what, Jude? Werewolves! Werewolves of London. Werewolves of Morgoth. Oh! So, um, anyway, yeah. Can we get some of that? I think we might be getting some of that. People are like, can we, can we get some of that werewolf action in the show? Okay, well, we know we got some big-ass wolves. I think that's probably what Tolkien's werewolves were anyway. Now, um, the, it might have been bipedal, I know. But let's just say this. Three cultist, Sauronist cultists. She's got the mark of Sauron on her staff, the dweller. There's three of them. Jude, how many big-ass wolves attack Nori and the Harfoots? Let me count. Uh, one, a two, a three. Three. Is that a coincidence? Would they write that coincidence? The two things stalking Meteor Man happen to both come in threes? It's Jude? quite a coincidence, and there's more and more evidence to support that, uh, including the way they just kind of seem to vanish and then pop up. Um, I think uh, from a book standpoint... The biggest thing that uh, leads to questions in this is that, canonically, the werewolves of Middle-earth are generally not considered to be shapeshifters. However, that doesn't mean that shapeshifting werewolves can't exist or that they won't exist on the show. So I think uh, there's a good chance of it. Well, look, there are things we can't get. Um like Glorfindel. That are that are that are different. You, we can get Glorfindel if We're you really try. People, children. If you really try, you can have a Glorfindel. Children, it's all up to you. Okay, it's will. It's will. So anyway, Jude. No, it's listen, Glorfindel, not will. Jeez. Listen to this. All right, and learn. Taking notes. We can have changeling werewolves in this because we're already so different in so many ways can't we just be different in this one way that's also awesome yes we can let's do that people so i'm gonna say that there's a good possibility that we, we've already seen that these three cultists sauronist morgothist um freaks they have some magical powers she didn't just blow some embers there, Jude. She, she's not just blowing embers. Number one, I don't know who embers is. But that being said, she, uh, she definitely shot fire. And uh, 
we we know that they channel magic. Uh, as we just pointed out, we know that there are three of them, three wolves attack. Um, we've seen wolves, which we have not had any confirmation of exactly what they are, um, because they're not the same as the warg we saw, um, in the orc camp. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely possible, and of course, we know that Sauron, who, you know, we do not know whether or not we've seen him in the show yet, or some form of his, but we know that he is the Lord of Werewolves. The Lord of Werewolves. So, um, I'm going to say this. Um, what order, Jude, what order of power do you think this cultist trio is? Is it possible that they are Maiar? I think that there is a distinct possibility of that in that they have performed so far a lot like what we know of the wizards of the Astari, but they clearly are not the Astari. So to introduce an order of um, wizards who are dark Maiar would uh, be an interesting way for the show to go, and I'm definitely down with it. Other than... Um Sauron and Balrogs. Do we have any other uh, dark Maiar? None that come to mind. Interesting. I, I don't think they are. Uh, I think they're under Sauron. Um, I think that their their sorcery is um, not from the heavens, but. Uh, we'll see. So, also, they're in, obviously, um, tracking Meteor Man. They're going to confront him, or are they... Is it possible that he's a Sauron? We we don't know. They always leave a little door open for the... But he's such a cool dude. He's kind of a hippie. He's a tree hugger. He's I a think tree he healer. He's a tree healer, but I'm going to say he may be Radagast? I've heard that as a theory. I'm not sure uh, if it completely works, but I think all of these theories, there's nothing to contradict them at this point. So Radagast was uh, Maya of Yavanna, um, and he was known for his love of nature, of uh, plants and animals. And he's Radagast the Brown, and Meteor Man is completely cloaked in brown. Yes. I'd um, rather him be blue, but he's in brown. He is thus far. I think uh, there's, again, a decent amount of evidence, as much evidence as anyone's put for the concept of him possibly being Gandalf or Olorin. Um... I think there's at least as much evidence to suggest that he may be Radagast. Or some, once again, different form of Radagast, possibly. Not bird shit on his head, Radagast. Yet. He's more like a cool Chris Christopherson Radagast. Well, you know, look, Radagast, clearly, if he is Radagast, he just hasn't, you know, 
realized, you know, what kind of hair product he needs. Meteor Man definitely jams out on guitar. He just doesn't know that he does yet. Anyway, I'm just saying that. I'm saying Balrogs have wings. I'm saying, kids, you can have a Glorfindel if you really want one. And I'm saying that uh, Meteor Man plays a mean, a mean guitar. And I'm also saying that Celeborn, not the tree, but the Galadriel husband, is not dead. Jude? Yeah, uh, there's you know, somewhere in the 0% chance that Celeborn is dead, that uh, Galadriel is simply saying, well, gee, he went off and he didn't come back yet. You know, he must be on a... A long elven bender, the way I'm seeing it. Um, I, I think she thinks he's dead. Oh, she no, I think she totally thinks he's dead. But I, I give a 0% chance to him actually being dead. I think the only real question is, uh, you know, when we think he might actually pop up in the show. Because I think he will come to the show at some point. Yeah, eventually. It's five seasons. Uh, what do you think of the more positive, more um, wisdom uh, touting Galadriel? She seems I, to have a little bit more of a, you know, stoic resolve that's not so uh, genocidal with vitriol. Yeah, I think this is something that uh, a lot of people were missing from the characterization of her so far. And I think... Uh, as the show progresses, we need more and more of it. You know, I think she can still have moments of badassery, but um, in between those moments, we we need to see the fact that she is old and wise and, you know, has this demeanor about her. Well, um, do you think maybe after uh, Celeborn comes back, she can, uh, she'll get a little bit more relaxed? She'll get some of that angst out? Well... We can only hope. You know, that being said, what did you think of um, her uh, joke that she made about Celeborn looking like a silver clam? Well, um, In his you know, fitting armor. I can see where um, that would make sense to say. And also, it's kind of weird imagery, but... Uh, yeah, you know. Well, the thing is, his name actually means Silver Tree. So by her calling him Silver Clam, she mm -hmm. was playing on that, which if you you didn't realize what his name meant, what Celeborn meant, um, it, it makes a little more sense when you uh, think of it in that context. Okay. Um, the uh, What about Elendil? And his new, newly developed uh, disdain for Galadriel. Uh, it seems a very to go against his the sea is always right shtick. And also uh, it's against elves in general. And it seems a little unfaithful for uh, a guy that we know is so uh, faithful. So... Is this temporary? Is it going to be resolved if Isildur, when, when Isildur comes back? Because we know about his plot armor. What do you think of Elendil? 
I think this is just a temporary character arc, um, a moment of doubt. You know, uh, I think we mentioned in the last show that a number of characters had moments of doubt throughout the last episode. It was kind of a running theme there. And um, I really feel this is just his moment of doubt. You know, he he doesn't know about the plot armor and, you know, he just kind of looked like he was going to cry the whole episode. I just kind of wanted him to tell him to grow a pair already. No, I'm glad that he cried the whole episode. I thought it was good. And um, I'm going to just also say that um, I like the, the way he turns away in that scene. And he almost looks like he's a little ashamed to be crying. And he doesn't, they, he clearly doesn't want them to know that he's in such pain. And I thought that was realistic and it added a lot of dimension to his character. Yeah, I, I mean, I like, I like the idea that he's hurt. I mean, he's a father who believes that he's just lost his son. Of course, he's going to be devastated. Um, but I, feel I would have liked it a little bit more if um, he put on a braver face in front of Muriel and the soldiers and then had a moment of being by himself where he essentially broke down. Well, I mean, that's basically what I think it was more poignant because he couldn't control it. Like, sometimes you, you, you just, you can't control it. And, and that shows his extreme grief. Uh, I thought it was better that way. Um, so anyway, uh, Muriel, when she's um, taking an oath, she's vowing to Galadriel that she's going to be her ally. She calls her father uh, R. Izil Ador. Or is Inziladin? So R. Inziladin equals Tar Palantir. Now, I'm just curious, like, why use the nomenclature of the unfaithful over the faithful one when you're, talking, when you're taking an oath with an elf? Yeah, that was a bit odd. I, I, I too, felt that was a bit odd writing. Um, maybe they didn't want the a lot of the audience to get confused with the use of Palantir because of the uh, the device, the object that we know is the Palantir. I honestly don't have a good reason for it. I think uh, it would have suited me better if she had stuck to the uh, to the. Um, Tar Palantir name, but you know, has that name we'll, we'll been used it. at all? I felt it has been. I know it's used in the credits. Um, whether or not they spoke it aloud, I'm honestly not very certain. I would have to go back and double check. So, um, what about Lady McDesa? You getting any Lady Macbeth vibes with her? She seems pretty ambitious. She's given him a pep talk. She's like, your brother's not going to rule. First time we're mentioning a brother, by the way. Also, Yes, well, the father had mentioned the brother uh, earlier in the episode, but this is the first time in in this series, this episode, that we got mention of Duran's brother. 
Right, but um, also not she. She wants to rule like not only their mountain, but she mentioned all the mountains or many mountains or something like that. She's ambitious. Um, but so it's you, you know what is cool though seeing like a married couple in this Tolkien setting. I think that's pretty cool. I think Tolkien really wanted the dwarves to be like a hard people to understand and like. And the movies have kind of changed it a little bit. Like, I I think he wanted it to be so that outsiders didn't know male from female and one male from another male. They're all Doran, basically. Um but, you know, I, I think he moved away from it when he was telling his kid's story, which is The Hobbit. Totally different thing. He didn't even necessarily intend them to be in the same world when he told that story. But these dwarves are much more um, interesting to watch, and they're funny, and they're sort of Falstaffian uh, characters. And they're really exploiting that with this couple and their relationship and the reality of their relationship. And I, I really like it. Likewise. Um, I know you, you, you uh, really, I think Disa is probably your um, most valuable player. I think in terms of just characters, she is uh, consistently possibly my favorite. And let me take that back. She is definitely my favorite character to watch every moment she's on screen. I, I absolutely adore that character. Yeah, I'm kind of fascinated by Meteor Man, though. Oh, I want to see more of him. There's plenty of characters I want to see more. He's subtle, too, though. Like, his it, when there's action scenes with Meteor Man um, and these energy um, scenes... Not telepathy. Um, yeah, I guess it would be telepathy. <laughs> um, and his... Uh, uh, or telekinesis, right? Uh, his telekinetic abilities. Are, that's one thing, you know? That's exciting, and that's cool the way he portrays that. But his mannerisms are very cool, very interesting. Like, they add a subtle layer to his your experience of what it is to come to a planet with all this power and absolutely have to re be reborn to self-knowledge. I think that's an amazing thing that they're portraying there and, and my favorite aspect of the show. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Wayman, the actor who portrays uh, The Stranger, is doing a knockout job with a... The nuance of the character, especially for someone that's got virtually no dialogue to this point, you know, very, very little. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the Harfoots, right? So they're near what we would call Mirkwood in the movies in the Third Age, right? Which is where they had to deal with the spiders and all that. Um, back then it was Greenwood the Great in the second age. And yeah. this is where uh, Sadek is directing Meteor Man. 
to go right. to Greenwood the Great. So they had to be pretty close to Greenwood the Great. Yeah, so my question is, how far is that from Mount Doom? And could they expect volcanic fallout from Mount, from Mount Doom all the way there? Well, what we know is that they are a bit southeast of Greenwood the Great um, when Sadik is directing Meteor Man, the stranger, um, to it. Uh, so it will be called Meteor Man on this podcast, young man. I apologize, Meteor Man. Um, so, uh, yeah, so they're a bit southeast of it, um, and they, it would appear, based on the maps that we've seen and that we can look up, that they are essentially somewhere in between um, where Mount Doom would be and where uh, Greenwood, the Great, would be. So, um, you know, yeah, they're right, right smack dab in the middle of that. So is is that, like, scientifically possible for Mount Doom to... Because I, I know you, you looked into the um, uh, the uh, volcanic fallout uh, right, uh, right uh, in there in town. The uh, uh, what's it called again? I I did not look up. Uh, you're talking about the pyroclastic flow. The um, pyroclastic flow. I did not look up uh, the distance from where they are at that point, uh, where the grove is. That is, um, that the uh, the large rock fell and, and burnt it up um, versus where Mount Doom would be. Um, I, I did not measure that. However, um, it kind of feels like I would have probably preferred to have seen maybe some smaller bits of um, volcanic rock hitting that area. It could have still set it on fire. I think the... Uh, the large crater that we had seems a little bit much, but once again, without measuring it, I'm not really positive just how far that should have flown. I mean, clearly it's cited as the reason for this. It's right. not like it, throughout their travels, the the forests and vegetation has all been pretty dim. Yeah, um, so it's, you know, it's, it's going it's, bad. It's going bad. They could have used that as a justification, um, but instead they used literally the fallout from Mount Doom. I mean, he yeah. he said mountains in the south spit fire rock. Right. Yeah. It, so it, it seems like it was a bit much. I mean, I'll buy it for now. Um, well, but I just want to get into a little one thing that I don't really like to do and and one of the reasons why when when you brought up that theory i was a little curked with you saying oh yeah oh wow the show runners were right imagine that well i just imagine that somebody who's working on a billion dollar show <laughs> is probably going to do a little research and come up with a justifiable explanation for the um the fact that there were survivors of right. that um, volcanic fallout. And we got the pyroclastic that when we looked flow. into it. Yeah. And if they were right. And I think that I'm usually willing, my suspension of disbelief is already there. You know, like I imagine that they did enough research to make it somewhat reasonable. Um, 
So I'm never I'm never really mad about that. I'm only mad about like poor character development, um, maybe things that are shot in a boring way, or um, just things that don't make sense. This I don't know. I I don't really tend to jump on showrunners for things like that. Um, uh, again, so, it seemed a little we, bit big, you know, what right. we got there, but you're also balancing what's going to work visually with right. the logistics. So, I'm just saying, you know, I'm, they might have just concerned, felt... I'm more concerned about, like, the character development and and the plot and the overarching themes and is it interesting to discuss this show mm-hmm. i'm not really going to fault it so much for without without really investigating it too i have seen some people in the, the in the community sort of just attack the showrunners and i don't think the showrunners were off base in this at all but they may be a little bit off base on this uh, volcanic rock near mirkwood or near greenwood the great yeah, I again, it's one of those things for the time being I'm willing to just go with. Um, it's, it's not a big it's, deal. It's a little question in a big world. Speaking of big world, now let's get back to the important shit, okay? There's a Balrog. Are we getting... Now, is <sighs> this just a Balrog uh, cameo or are we getting some serious Balrog action in the in the final episode in the finale i for one am hoping that this is just a cameo to set up for later on that it's something they said you know what we want to keep people's anticipation with this first season and uh you know let's let's give us a hint at what's to come um because uh the uh the Balrog, who will eventually become known as Durin's Bane, um, or the Nameless Terror, because he doesn't actually have a name, uh, according to the books, actually uh, kills Durin the Fourth in uh, the Second Age, 1980. That's the year 1980 of the Second Age. Um, and of course, we know that there's he was clearly lis- he was listening to Blondie's Rapture at the time as well. <laughs> Well, you know, he uh, he did go outside well, and start th- eating That's cars. the whole thing that you don't understand about Balrogs. Totally like into Blondie. I don't blame them. I mean, who's not? Rapture. But, uh, but yeah, so, like, again, the time compression is a little bit odd if you know the timeline. But, um, that being said, you know, we don't actually, A, we don't know what year the show actually takes place or if we're ever going to get a definitive answer on what years the show takes place since they are mixing and matching various stories. And um, on top of that, something we brought up several episodes back was that, uh, you know, it is possible. I don't think it's likely, but it's possible that we're looking at two different timelines here. I mean, that's not nah. completely impossible. I don't think so. That meteor kind of tied in a lot of shit. It, yeah, no, it, it definitely did. It definitely did. But, um... I, I, I think they've... Really? Two different times? Po- how? I don't know. I, I, Am I, I off base on that? 
I mean, uh, you know, again, like the um, Durin the Fourth was supposed to die, you know, again, Second Age, 1980, um, which is probably about a thousand years or so, right? A thousand years. What do you mean? Well, no, hold on. We don't know. There are so many events. You can't really pinpoint the time because there are events happening simultaneously that happened thousands of years apart. So that, which is what I'm saying. Right. That's what I'm saying is that it in the books would have happened about a thousand years, more than a thousand years before what's going on in Numenor that during the fourth should have been killed. And the, um, Kazakh doom was abandoned at that stage. Um, so again, they're really playing with a lot of things, mixing and matching it. Yeah. Well, we knew that even from before the season started. But um, to, I, I, to our credit, that they I, were right. going to do something like that. And and people, we will go over it. We will grade ourselves on the great test of prediction. Were we okay in in episode zero? Did we say some stuff that was true? I think we did. Maybe a thing or two. Okay. One or we two. Know, we know a little bit about TV. And the books. And we know a little bit about the books. And then put that together. But, and um, when they met, it was murder. But, uh, so, but, um, but yeah, either way, I think that... Uh, what's that? How are we doing? Are we good? Do uh, I think we... Well, did we hit all the notes? I, I think we just about did. Um, but, you know, I was just going to wrap that up by saying that um, either way, I think that um, the Balrog is, in my opinion... Really just a tease. I, I think it's a setup. I don't think we're going to see him because um, we'll probably get into this more um, after the last episode. But um, I've made a prediction. We'll see if it comes to pass that uh, we might well get a time jump in between seasons. And if we do, I think um, the whatever happens with the Balrog would likely happen after that, after Durin is king, after they continue to mine the Mithril. It just Um, happens off camera. (laughs) Coen Brothers style. Well, that'll be something to discuss. Any predictions for the finale, Jude? It's like wide open. Lots of shit can happen. I don't know where it's going to go, to be honest. Um... I really don't. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see where they go with it and, uh, you know, whether or not we get a final episode and probably a cliffhanger that will leave us wanting more. A Sauroni cliffhanger? Ooh, that's the prediction now, isn't it? Any, you think anything's going to happen with Adar? Do you think Adar's going to have to uh, face any comeuppance with uh, Sauron? Probably not for, not I don't, for multiple seasons. Yeah, I was going to say, I definitely don't think in this season, at least. I, I'm, I I'll, really I'll make that call. I really don't know what's going to happen in this last episode. I, yeah, I don't know where they're going. I, I had some idea, 
up until episode six, like, where certain things were heading at least, um, but as of now, it is basically just an open board. They they take a total left turn, and Doran ends up with a Balrog as a pet. Oh, that can happen. I can see that. You know, like how to train your dragon. Oh, that would make it so much better. How to train your Balrog. That's the that's show you want to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yes, I do. I agree yeah. with that statement about me. So, um, okay, I think we, uh, we covered everything that we f- wanted to cover. And uh, my name is Rob Law. This has been the JR. Are you talking to me? Helm's Deep Dive for episode six and seven. We're looking forward to tomorrow night, the season finale. We have no idea what the fuck's going to happen. Jude, you want to take us out with any information? Well, I've been Jude Fox. And if you want to contact us, you can email us at youtalkingtome at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group at youtalkingtome about the fellowship. And I just want to remind everyone to like, subscribe, give us a five-star rating wherever you find your podcasts, and share with your friends to help grow the fellowship. Until the finale, a bye-bye.